If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, I'll give you a second to get there. We're continuing to talk about hope this morning, and um, Mark brought up this verse, and it's been so good for me all week long to be thinking about it. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. In those verses, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, was talking to the Israelite people. And he was both warning them, but he was also reminding them of God's love even while they were in exile. And he was saying to them, after 70 years of exile, it's not going to feel, it's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel like you can trust God and that you can trust his goodness. But I'm telling you that you can. And I love in that last song that we sang, it said something about um, not being forsaken, you know, empty-handed but not forsaken. And that's what Jeremiah was trying to say to them. You might be empty-handed. You might feel like you've been abandoned, but you have not been forsaken. So that's kind of the backstory to those verses. And when I read, when I used to read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, especially the very first part of that, I would think, yes, that promise was written directly to me. And although it was written for the Israelite people, we can still look at that verse and go, gosh, see if God was good to them in that time. Then, of course, he promises those same things now still because God doesn't change. So... When I read scriptures like that, I like to ask myself kind of like what the, the Apostle Paul would ask. And one of the things that he would say, um, I think through his writings, through the way that he wrote, through the way that he um, expressed himself, it, was always, it always kind of came back to the flesh and blood of it, like how Mark talks about it. What's the flesh and blood of it? He would kind of ask the question, how then, in light of that verse, in light of that scripture, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? He expresses that, you know, in the verse where he talks about, I could travel over mountains, cross the oceans, you know, I could do all these things, but if I do not have love, I have nothing. He's, he's talking about, I could know the scriptures, I could know them like the back of my hand, but if I do not love, if it doesn't touch the reality of my life, if there's not a how then shall we live, then what does it matter? So that's kind of what's been going through my head as I've been reading that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give, to give you a future and a hope. In light of that, how then shall we live?
we talked a couple weeks ago, and you all know this already, but, you know, remember that we were made in the image of God. And the very beginning, uh, in Genesis 1.27, God said to God's self, <laughs> let us make man in our image after our likeness. And that's so strange for us, and I'm not going to get into the whole, like, theology of the, of the Trinity because, you know, that's so tricky. Um, but even God's self is three parts working together, okay? And this is an important point I'm trying to make, and I'll get there, I promise, but God's self is three parts working together, cooperating, circling. There's this old word, uh, parachoresis, and it's the divine dance. It's the choresis where we get the word choreography. Parachoresis, working together, dancing together, side by side swirling together. Um, the divine dance of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, working together as one. And if God, if God's self is a system that's working together in one, and we were created in God's image, and he created the earth and the stars and the sun and the moon and the universe and everything, then all all of creation is patterned after that. There are systems. We're learning this through science, right? We're learning, obviously, we've been learning for a long time. There are, there's the solar system. We call it the solar system because it's all working together. Each part is crucial. There's black holes and dark matter. We have no idea what those do, but they're all part of it, right? There's the sun, and the sun is the center, and the planets circle around, and each one has its part. The moons have their parts. They play a part in the tide, and then it just goes on and on from the macro level, this huge, you know, what's going on in the universe, all the way down to, like, the tiniest little things. So, there's ecosystems. Every little creature plays a part. The bees pollinate, you know. I mean, it's all, they all work together. Systems. Every creature plays a part in the choreography of the connectedness of all life. So, I guess I wanted to talk about this for just a second. Um, systems, right? Even people, we work in systems. We have governments. We try to organize things. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 10 through 12 says, For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That's just sort of referring to like, if we're alone, if we try to be alone, if we're trying to resist this pattern that was placed in all of creation to work in systems and to work together and to partner and to do this divine dance thing that we were invited into, if we resist that, then we, you know, we can be defeated. I know Ecclesiastes is kind of a weird book to pull a scripture from to talk about because Ecclesiastes is kind of a pessimistic, it can look like a very pessimistic book, but... It's actually got some really good wisdom in there for us. It's just reminding us, like, if we go against that pattern that's built into all of creation, you know, it's not going to bode well for us. So I talked about, like, the macro level, the universe, all of that stuff. But I want to just really, really quickly talk about, all, even all the way down to, like, the micro level. When I broke my hand when I was in college, uh, they told me, they said, 
Now, when people break their bones, white blood cells rush in to that area, to that spot. And you might notice that your veins are a little bigger. They're like, there's lots of blood in there trying to pump into that area because it's trying to heal that bone. It's trying to rush blood in there. Same thing happens when someone has an infection. White blood cells rush in there. They rush in there. Um, ants. There's a really weird thing about ants that um, I'm trying to talk about a few small things and then I promise we'll get to our main point. But I heard this thing about fire ants down in Texas. And fire ants are horrible, like people don't like them, you know, they're invasive, they bite and stuff, but you actually can learn a lot from fire ant colonies. And so one thing that I heard is that when there is a flash flood, because sometimes flash floods happen down there, um, when there's a flash flood, fire ants get pushed up out of their little systems and stuff, right? I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, there were some videos going around on Facebook maybe a couple years ago where these ants got forced up out of their holes, out of their burrows or whatever they're called, their, their systems. And someone took a video of this weird clump <laughs> that was rushing down this little sort of like flash flood river thing that was happening on the side of the road. And what this clump, they, they just thought like, ew, what is that? It looks like a big, ew, I don't know what that is. And they, got, they zoomed in and actually it was a... <laughs> an island made completely of ants, of fire ants. And what they were doing and what scientists have studied now is that um, they form these little, I almost said man-made. Okay, no, that's not. These little ant-made islands. <laughs> and they, it's just, it's entirely made up of their bodies. That's all it is. It's not made up of dirt or anything because there's no time to go grab dirt. So what they do is they just cling to each other. Those flash floods come, they're forced out of their homes, they just cling to each other. And some of the ants are under the water in that rushing, nasty mess, and some of the ants are on top. And what they've found is that they actually take turns so that ones that are under the nasty, rushing water actually get to switch places and come up to the top so that they can have a break from that and they can just ride in that nasty, rushing water for a while. And then they switch again and they all, they all do their part to take care of each other, kind of like our, right, our white blood cells that rush in to try to take care of the part of our body that's hurt. We see this in elephants. Have you ever seen a video of an elephant trying to pull another one out of a mud puddle? I've seen a really touching video of a mama elephant trying to pull her baby out of a Have you seen this before? Yeah trying to pull her baby out of a mud puddle, and she just can't, and she's crying, and she, she tries for a little while, and the baby's slipping all around like a little fool, and the mom is, you know, just crying. She goes off to the side, and she kind of goes, oh, with her trunk, and she's, and then the other elephants kind of slowly, one by one, what's going on? They walk over, and they, like, look at her, and they look at the baby, and they're probably like, why did you let your baby play in there? We've told you, you silly young moms that let their moms, let their babies do this. And all of a sudden, before you know it, the whole herd is over there, and all it takes is one, one, united, whoop, one united push, and the baby's out, and it's fine. So this happens all through our DNA, the animal kingdom, the universe, all of it, right? This is patterned after God. 
He can't, he couldn't help it. He patterned it into the creation that he so lovingly made, and we can't help it either. I mean, we see this when we, when we make GoFundMe pages for people who are having a health crisis, right? People who can't pay their medical bills. We set up GoFundMe pages, and we, we raise money for these people, you know, very quickly because why? When you invite a thousand people to raise money for someone who needs it, you can donate $10 at a time, and all of a sudden, you know, all, it's raised. We see that when someone goes through a death in the family, and what happens? Your fridge gets filled, filled up with casseroles, Right? When we moved to D.C., we were going through a really hard time. Financially, it just was like, a, oh, we had been without a job for a little while. We moved to D.C., to this church in D.C., and they were so gracious, and they filled up our pantry, filled it up to the top. I had no room to put even a box of noodles. <laughs> it was full. I've witnessed this in my own life. It happens. We do this when we sponsor a child through World Vision or Compassion. We when we volunteer at Feed My Starving Children, you know, to put those rice packets together for those kids. This is us acting as those white blood cells or those ants in a raft, taking care of each other, and it's, it's beautiful. Sometimes humans get it, and sometimes humans are so good at it, and sometimes we are terrible at it. <laughs> I, um, one of my favorite movies, really quick, one of my favorite movies is the movie Chocolat, and I don't know if you've seen it at all. I just, I love, like, food, and they focus on the chocolate a lot. And so, um, and yes, it is okay to look at the theology in movies. I, my professor says so, so I'm just going to say that. Um, there's, this, there's this woman who doesn't quite fit in in the town, and she opens a chocolaterie during Lent. And it's a very, very Catholic town, and, you know, they all look at her like, ugh, how could you do that? You know, it's during Lent. No one will support you. And, of course, they don't. Um, so she's struggling, and she's trying to get customers and, and everything. And she wears red shoes, and her daughter kind of says, why can't you wear black shoes like the other mothers? And, you know, that she just doesn't fit in. She's a, she sticks out like a sore thumb. And one day, a strange wind blows into town, and this boat kind of comes down the river Tan, and it's a houseboat, and there's people that look different in it from these people that live in this little provincial town in France. And when they arrive, you can clearly see that they are probably gypsies of some kind, and um, they refer to themselves as river rats because that's what they've been called their whole lives. Um, so they dock their boats, and they just, they just say, you know, I... We're not trying to bug anyone. We just need to stop for a couple days. We'll be on our way. We'll be out of your town. We'll be out of your hair as soon as possible. And as soon as they get there, the town council calls a meeting. And they go and they meet and they, they say, can you believe these nasty people bringing their diseases and their immorality? We need to boycott immorality. And so they, they type up this thing. It's like, in the early, it's like in the early 50s maybe, but it seems a lot longer ago because this town is very, you know, stuck somewhere in the middle of France and they're very old-fashioned. They type up this thing and at the very top it says boycott immorality and they nail it all over town and they talk about the rules of why you're not allowed to let these river rats come into your establishments. If they need a haircut, don't give them one. If they want a drink, don't give them one. If they need some food, do not sell them any food. We're not going to help them in any way, shape, or form because they're basically pirates and they need to get out of our town. 
And so what happens is the river rats expect this. They're pretty self-sufficient. They can, they can make it on their own. But what happens is one of the little girls on the boat gets sick, and she has a tummy ache, and she is brought into town by one of the men from the boat. His name is Rue, and Rue takes her around the town just trying to find some seltzer water to help settle her tummy. So he brings her to a couple places. He brings her to the bar, the local pub or whatever, and, he, and the guy looks at them both, and um, he says, could she get some seltzer water, please? She has a tummy ache, and the guy from behind the counter says, I don't serve animals. And the little girl just looks really sad, and she turns around, and she walks out, and they walk out. And they happen to pass the chocolaterie where VN works, you know, the woman who wears the red shoes. <laughs> and she steps outside and says, would you like some chocolate? And, and he says, no, she has a tummy ache. We're just trying, we were just trying to get some seltzer water, but don't worry about it. We're going to go back to the boat. And she said, well, I have just the thing for that. And so she pulls out this old remedy for sore tummies, which is like cacao leaves or something that her mother taught her when she was a little kid. And she says, here, chew on these. It'll help make your tummy feel better. And the little girl, the little girl chews on a leaf, and she's like, tastes strange, you know. And she says, but I feel better. And the man from the boat, Rue, looks at Vien and says, you know, if you make friends with us, you make enemies of others. And I... I have to say that I think that was worth it for Vienne to help that little girl who the barkeep said was an animal. She just had a tummy ache. And I, like I said, I think humans get it right so many times. Oh my gosh, I think humans are <laughs> so good sometimes. We all try to do what's right and we all try to do what's best, but my gosh, if we can stand up for what we believe in, if we can stand up against these boycott immorality, tear that down. Tear that down off your door. Yeah, if, if God has planned everything for good, if as Chrissy talked about, that is the pattern. That's the pattern of life. If he's planned everything for good and for good of the other, then how should we live? How should we live? If we are made in the image of God, shouldn't we pattern our lives like God does? I ask the question, how does this affect my daily life? How does this affect my flesh and blood? My feet on the ground? My hands reached out? How does this affect the people around me? If everything in life is patterned to work for the good of the other. What I know is we rush to each other's needs. That is what the church is good at. We rush to each other's needs. But if this is the pattern, if this is the flow or the current that naturally occurs, why do we resist it? If we're not living our lives in such a way that matches this current, or that matches this pattern, we are living anti-God's plan. You know, this week I was struggling. We're working through some stuff financially where we're thinking about doing some stuff with our house, 
Um, we got some car stuff going on, and I was struggling. And one day, it just kind of hit like the pinnacle of struggle, the pinnacle of what in the world are we going to do? It was Wednesday. And I just knew I was coming to men's group, and I was not up for it. I got here, and I just thought, oh, I don't even want to be around people. I just kind of want to go home and be discouraged <laughs> and just wallow. And I got here, and everybody was in the garden room, and they were talking and waiting for the food. And a friend of mine who's been coming on Thursday nights, who I met at my house during a garage sale, came outside, out into the hallway where I was. And he said, how's it going? I said, you know, not that great. And honestly, I didn't want to tell him that. <laughs> I wanted to just say, it's okay. It's good. Good. You know, stuff's going on, but it's fine. But I, for some odd reason, just laid it all out there. Pretty much almost every detail, which I wouldn't do. I just would not do that. I don't share my life and my struggles with a lot of people. Why? I don't know. But I did. And he shared part of his life and his struggles, which were very similar. And we talked for about 15 minutes. It was honestly the most powerful and intimate conversation I'd ever had with him in the last year and a half that I've known him. And after I left on Wednesday night, I realized that that had actually lifted me up. Like, I did not expect it, but my conversation with him lifted me up. It took me from this place of discouragement to, I think it's going to be okay. And I needed that. I didn't want it. My ego gets in the way all the time. And I say, you know, I'll share with the one or two people I trust a lot. I'll share stuff with them, but no one else. No one else gets to know what's going on in my life because I want to look like I have it all together. But I don't. Why do I resist it? You know, if the pattern of life is to work together for the good, why do I resist working together? We rush to each other's need, and that's what my friend did for me on Wednesday. And it has carried since then. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. You know, to give you a future and a hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so just... <laughs> That question again, how then shall we live? Should it not be our job every day to remind each other of the promise of God's goodness? Should we not cheer on the lives around us that are prospering? You're doing it. You're doing a good job. Keep going. Should we not extend a hand or bring a casserole to the ones that are having a hard time. How then shall we live? Should we not plant our gardens and take care of our little piece of the earth? 
Should we not take up a collection when we hear that one of our friends is short? How then shall we live? Should we not arrange our lives so we're all ready? Ready (laughs) at the drop of a hat when a friend needs us to listen or if we need to be a shoulder to cry on? Should we not share a kind word to a stranger or to our enemy? Should we not be changed and moved to love in the presence of even our enemies when we look to Christ, when we remember what God has done for us? How then shall we live? Let's pray. Thank you that you have not abandoned any of us. You have not forsaken a one of us, not a one. You are good and your goodness flows out of you effortlessly. often ask, how can we thank you, God? How can we ever thank you? I wonder, I wonder if sometimes you're saying the answer is just do it too. Love like I love. Give us courage, God, to do that. hope is all around us. Your hope is all around us. We can't help but to hope in you. We love you and we need you in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.